We are in the book of St. John chapter 6, and um, I'm going to share two verses with you as we get started. And um, the, chapter 6 is full of great doctrinal truths. In fact, you find the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of those chosen. You find the element of the fact that no one can save themselves, but that God has to call and the Savior has to save. There's a lot of things in John chapter 6 that is dynamic, but I want to talk to you about your walk with the Lord and your faith in Christ. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be talking about John chapter 6, verse 63, and then we're going to look at John 666. Chapter 6, verse 66, John 6, 6. Notice in verse 63, it is the spirit that quickens. That word quicken means made alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, Jesus says unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now look at verse 66. And we find 666. Isn't it ironic that people leave Jesus at those numbers? 666. Chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. I want to use for a subject today things that test our faith. You may be seated. Things that test our faith. Before we get into this, we need to understand that there's many, many truths in John chapter 6. But as a personal uh, truth, there's two major truths concerning our living faith. The first truth is Jesus is hard to follow. Jesus is hard to follow. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus, but they're not following him. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they're really not following Jesus. Jesus is hard to follow, verse 60. And then Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. I want to talk to you about things that test our faith. And when I say faith, I'm not talking about just what you believe in your head. I'm talking about your faith that lives outside these walls among your neighbors and friends. I'm talking about your faith that is not just what you feel in your heart or in your head, but it's the way you walk, the way you talk, your faith. And we need to understand that our faith will be tested. We, it isn't just something that God says, okay, you believe, now come on in, well done. Faith is a busy, 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 uh, active power in a Christian's life. Faith is not just private. Faith is public. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. And so we understand that the Jesus in you is going to be visible outside of you as you walk and serve the Lord. Amen? As I said, the Lord's, I got saved when I was 23 years old. And as I said in the past, for 23 years, the Lord Jesus tried to get in me. And ever since then, he's been trying to get out of me. 
to present himself to those around me. This is a living faith. This is a faith of goodness and mercy, a faith that helps us walk and talk in the spirit of God. Now, there's several things in this sixth chapter, and I'm not going to cover it all. Thank God for that. Someone say, praise the Lord. Well, we got two people. The rest of you want to sit through it, I guess. I don't know. I'm just teasing. I'm glad that as a Christian, God gives us that drawing, that moving in the Spirit. We know what we believe. We know in whom we have believed. And we're persuaded that Jesus Christ is able to keep that uh, against that day that comes in our life. We know what we're talking about. If, if God has drawn you and you have fallen at the feet of Jesus Christ, then you know what I'm talking about. You don't, we don't know everything, but we know the Bible per se is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that he died, uh, died for our sins, shed his blood for our sins, was buried in the grave. Jesus Christ got up from the grave, went back to the Father, sat down at the Father's right hand, and today Jesus Christ makes intercession for you and I. Now, I, I hate to say this, but it's kind of like the old, uh, the old adage, um, the neighborhood in the middle. Of, I, I went out to start the car this morning early, about 4 o'clock, went out to start the car, warm it up. You say, why? Because it was cold. And I started the car up. I didn't want the car to be cold. And anyway, uh, I started the car up, and every dog in the neighborhood started barking. The neighbor's dog started barking because I was out there in my car. Then the neighbor's neighbor's dog started barking. And then the neighbor's 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 dog started barking. And then the neighbor, neighbor's 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 dog started barking. And then across the, uh, across the neighborhood, the other dog starts barking. And the other dog barks. And across the other uh, part of the town, the other dog starts barking. You've got a hundred dogs out there barking and only one knows what he's barking about. And we know what we're barking about. Amen. We know Jesus Christ. Thank God for his goodness. Now I'm going to share with you four things that actually test our living faith. Now there's many things that test it, but I want to share with you four things. The first thing I want to mention is personal things. Personal things, if you're, if you're a Christian, let me stop right here and say this. The Bible is the only book. The Bible is the only book on planet earth that you have to know the author to understand it. It's the only book that you can read over and over and over again and still be dumb as a box of rocks. God gives us that spiritual enlightenment because it is the words that Jesus speaks. They are spirit and their life. The word quickens. The, the words of Jesus Christ quicken, but the flesh profits nothing as I read a little, little bit ago. So here's how it works. God gives us enough as a sinner. We hear enough about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how good Jesus Christ is. And the Father convicts us brings conviction to our soul. The Father draws us to Jesus Christ, gives us just enough to say, I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. And then God draws you to the altar. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the person of Jesus Christ and you get saved. And from that day on, you bow your knee at this book to understand it. But if you bow your knee at this book 
before you're born again, you'll never understand it. Now, if you come to church and never understand the preacher, you never understand the book, that's a good sign that maybe you've never really got to know the author. So personal things actually hinder or they test our faith. Faith will always be tested. When they make a big ship, I'm talking about a ship that travels the high seas, the ocean. When they build one, they build it up on close to the land. When they're through building it, the scaffolding, they launch it out into the water. They're testing it to see if it sinks or if it floats. And let me tell you, friends, your faith needs to float, not sink. Because all the holes need to be taken care of in your life so that you can retain the goodness of the Lord. Now, that's good preaching whether you like it or not. And so I want to talk about personal things. Now, there is the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels talk about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is the bread of life, the great I am. In this chapter 6, Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. And he that eats of the bread or eats of, uh, eats of me shall live forever. And so uh, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And the thing we need to understand is that personal things will test our faith. Notice verse 5 and 6. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to Philip to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. Now, the, the picture is simply this. Jesus fed anywhere from 10 to 15, maybe 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. You've heard the story about the lad. Andrew finds a lad that has a sack lunch. Now, all your liberal theologians that believe there's no miracle here, they just said that the little boy gave his lunch and that inspired everybody to give their lunch. Well, let me ask you a question. If everybody had their lunch, what did they need bread for? Amen? And Jesus Christ multiplied the five barley loaves and two fish and he fed thousands of people. He's right on the edge of Galilee there by Tiberias. And he has fed the multitude. And the 14th chapter of Matthew says it was late in the evening and the people were hungry and they came to hear the word of God. And Jesus Christ says to Philip, uh, we need to feed these people. We need to feed them. And Philip starts counting. 200 penny worth is not enough to feed so many. He starts counting. You know, your first problem with your faith is if you have to count everything and account for everything, you don't really have miracle faith. You got to believe God. And Philip says, well, 200 penny worth is not enough to feed so many. And Andrew gets out there and finds a little boy with a sack lunch, five barley loaves, two fish. And Andrew says, hey, I got a sack here uh, with, with uh, five loaves, barley loaves, and two fish. And Jesus Christ said, well, have everybody sit down. We're going to have a picnic. Now, those loaves were not big old Subway rolls. Those were little old biscuit type things, barley loaves. And those two fish were not Big spoonbill, walleye, 
He didn't have two wells in his sack. They were little old minnows, little old minnows with the head, the eyeballs, the mouth, the guts and all. And the little old boy was going to, and I understand why he had five loaves of bread and two little fish because it would have took me 25 loaves of bread to choke down a sardine like that. Hello. Now, my, da- my dad loved sardines. He loved sardines smothered in mustard. And he would try to get me to eat the sardines. And I said, Dad, you don't have enough mustard in the world to get me to eat that. But Dad loved them. He said, They're, they got flavor. I said, yeah, I'm sure they do. Lots of flavor, scales, guts, eyes. You know, I'm sure they got lots of flavor. And so this little boy, Jesus Christ, he asked Philip, um, where can we buy bread and that these may eat? Matthew chapter 14 says, the account, that the disciples tried to get Jesus to send them away, the multitude, the mass of the people. And Jesus Christ said, they need not depart. And I want you to know that anything you need in your life can be satisfied through the person of Jesus Christ. Any any mental problem you have, any emotional problem you have, any sin that you have, any difficulty you have can be met and performed by the healing power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can take care. You need not depart. You need not depart from this church. You need not depart from this word of God. You need not depart from the voice of God because God can do the miracle. God can touch your life. God can bring your life together. God can do big things in your life. Amen. Amen. I said, amen. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. But you see, they were personal things. They needed to eat and they were personally hungry. Andrew, of course, got out there and the Lord said, have them sit down. We're going to have a picnic. And the Lord fed them all with those five barley loaves and two fish. And afterwards, he said, gather up the fragments which remain, verse 12, that nothing be lost. And they got 12 filled up baskets full of leftovers. Hello. Isn't that good? Now, personal things. Would you agree that they were hungry? It's a personal thing. But... Do you understand that Jesus Christ was giving them bread to eat that was not five barley loaves and two fish? He was giving them spiritual bread. In fact, Jesus Christ is what I call wonder bread. If you eat of that bread, you live forever. Jesus Christ said, I've come down and I am the bread from heaven. And if you eat of this bread, you'll live forever. And so Jesus Christ was trying to tell that massive amount of people that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4, 4. And so we understand that the words that Jesus speaks, they quicken us, they make us alive, but the flesh profits nothing. The flesh is going to return to the ground. The flesh, if it doesn't return to the graveyard, it'll be changed and caught up to meet Jesus in the air. I prefer that way first. Amen? 
In fact, I, I don't even like the idea of laying down in a grave. I thought if I go before Judy, I'm going to instruct Judy to just bury me standing up. Now I got a better. Embalm me and, and mount me on the wall. Stuff me and mount me on the wall. And then confiscate all the magic markers when people come in. Say, why? You know why. I'm going to move on. But the personal needs. Personal needs test our living faith. Everybody in this room, you have personal needs. You have personal wants. Personal wants and personal needs. There are those that their personal wants, you know, some just have Fear, personal fears, personal habits, personal regrets, personal insecurities, personal financial trouble, personal family trouble, personal trouble on the job, personal depression, personal discouragement. And all those things can hinder your activity of faith in Christ. Let me just simply say, and I, I realize I'm going to get preachy, preachy in a minute, but you've got to understand what, where I'm coming from. People get to the place where they're tired and weary. Now, if you're tired and weary, there's, a, there's Isaiah 40, verse 31, wait upon the Lord, you'll renew your strength, etc. But But if you're tired and weary, if you're physically unable to really, you know, really get in and serve, serve the Lord... God understands all that. If you're tired and you're weary, understand that. But you need to understand there's a legitimate tired and weary, and then there's just plumb old laziness. Hello. And we mistake tired and weary sometimes for laziness, and then we mistake laziness for lukewarmness. We think, you know, we're lukewarm. We're not serving the Lord. You know, I am. Uh, since I had the car wreck, it's, and it really messed me up, and, and I still deal with some issues in my body from the car wreck ahead on, and, and you know, I'm, I'm the gadget man now, and uh, I'm not the bionic man, but they about spent that much money on me. And, uh, but anyway, ever since my wreck, because I have, you know, some issues with pain, and it's hard for me to get moving sometimes in the morning, Shoot, I was slow it before I had to wreck. But anyway, wreck made it worse. And I'm one of these guys that if you, uh, you know, if I've got a five-gallon bucket of Diet Pepsi in the fridge and a, a two-gallon pot of white soup beans and some cornbread, I'll never leave the house. I'll get up in the morning slowly and if I've got pajamas on, which sometimes I just run around in my underwear, I know, that's a, I know that's a bad visual. Some of you men are sitting there saying, yeah, you run around in your pajamas. You don't wear them either. If you do, you're a sissy. I'll ask the women. Never mind. I'm not going to ask. But I'd never leave the house. I mean, I'd just, you know, I, I, I'd flush my phone down the toilet stool and then, or throw it over in the creek and, or the river. 
I'd never leave the house. But I want you to know that sometimes we get that way spiritually. We don't want to leave the house. And these personal problems, these personal wants or these personal fears begin to give us trouble in our walk with God. You see, these people had personal needs. In fact, they were so enamored by personal needs that after Jesus fed them, Jesus went up on the mount to pray and the other disciples went across the Sea of Galilee and they, they wanted to know where Jesus was. Jesus got across the Sea of Galilee at Tiberias, went across and some of them gathered some ships together the next morning, went across. They're looking for, they're not looking for Peter, James and John. They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for the wonder bread. And they get across the other side and there Jesus is. And they go, oh, Lord, how'd you get here? He said, I walked. No, he didn't say he walked, but that's what he did. He walked across the water. Jesus Christ came down off the mount and walked across on top of the water to get to the disciples. And Jesus Christ told him then, you don't follow me for the miracles of my great word. You follow me because you like the loaves and the fish. You follow me because the buffet is awesome. I mean, no, God's got the most awesome buffet in the world. And from his hand, God blesses us. But we allow personal things to bother us. There are those that um, fear in their life or habits or regrets or insecurities. Keeps them from stepping out of their faith into public view. Personal things begin to hinder them. And that's what was happening with the masses of people. They were allowing personal things to cloud their judgment about spiritual truths. Did you know fear can drive you away from God? The proper fear will bring you to God, but the wrong fear, fear, insecurities, depression, uh, uh, discouragement, um, trouble, all those things, depression, will keep you from serving your God, keep you from honoring God. Now, the first thing you need to do is get born again because born again people are nearly as discouraged as people that are lost. Hello. Now, I'm not saying Christians don't get discouraged, but I want to tell you this. You need to, you need to force yourself to be obedient to the voice of God. You need to force yourself to honor God. You need to honor your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, many, many of you have never heard of the name Charles Spurgeon, in the 1800s, we still read his writings today. He's quoted more than any preacher other than Billy Graham in the world today. Charles Spurgeon, incredible uh, man of God. I think he would have been one of the 12 apostles had he lived in the days of Jesus Christ. What an intelligent, incredible man. In London Tabernacle, the London Tabernacle there in the days of D.L. Moody and, and Charles Spurgeon. And Dale Charles Spurgeon would preach four times on Sunday, four times he would preach, and by the time he would preach, one, after, one hour after he preached, his sermon would be on paper form in newspaper on the streets of London. That was before the cassettes, before the audio, his sermons would be out there. You know where Charles Spurgeon would go after he preached four times? And his sermons have circled the world. You know where he went every Sunday after he preached in the London Tabernacle? He went outside of London in a little cabin and he was depressed the rest of the week. Depressed the rest of the week. 
But come Sunday, he shook his depressed mind up. He rose up and he went to the great London Tabernacle and he preached the word of God. I want you to know if God's worth serving, he's worth shaking yourself up and going forward to serve God. If your faith has saved you in Jesus Christ, if you really believe God, then it's worthy of your sacrifice to serve God Almighty. Amen. Praise the Lord. There are people that are afraid to serve God. They're afraid, you know, it hinders them. Their, their fear of the, what the neighbor would say. Their fear of what relatives say. People hinder our faith in uh, faith with God. You might have a, you know, the, the public school always makes sure something's scheduled on Sunday. You know, you got things going on. You know, your family wants to have every get-together on Sunday. Never mind Saturday, but Sunday. Your, your neighbor or your children will say, well, you don't have to go to church all the time. Well, you don't have to, but bless God, you need to. You're getting more word of God right now than you've had all month. Some of you. Hello. Say, well, I don't like how you're preaching. Well, I don't like how you're listening right now. And so, you know, you, you think about fear. There are people that are so afraid to serve God, afraid of what their children will say. Afraid of what their loved one might say. Afraid of what they're afraid, you know, afraid that your employer will say, well, you'll obey me or you'll lose your job. You'll do what I tell you or you'll lose your job. We wish all employees, employers were honest and fair and square, but they're not all honest, fair, and square. Now, there are some great employ employers that are honest, fair, and square. Understand there are some great employers uh, that are Christian. But there, we live for the most part in a world that says, leave your Jesus out there. Don't bring him into work. Don't bring your Jesus into our space. And if you take space for Jesus, you'll lose your job. Unless we decide it's okay, then I will dictate to you whether or not you serve Jesus Christ on any certain day. Careful. Now, I am. Uh, I know people that are afraid. They're scared. They're scared of God. They're afraid of people. They're afraid of not having their personal needs met. They're afraid of not succeeding in life. They're fearful. There's people that are so afraid of the opposition around them, their children, their friends, their family, their neighbor, their employer. People will persecute you badmouth you, lie about you, threaten you. I've been spit upon. I've never been beheaded. I still got my head. I know it's kind of weak, but I still have it. I, but, you know, uh, the world will persecute you. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute you. And the truth is, there's people afraid to serve God, afraid to be outspoken about God, afraid to tell others on the job about Jesus Christ. Just afraid, fearful, afraid. Hello. Now, I'm speaking to believers there, and you're going to heaven. God loves you. You're saved. But how many people are out there that's sinners, never been saved, and they're fearful? They're fearful. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 says, but the, the fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8. The unbelieving, the fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire. We build our little brush piles in our life in order for us to hide under. I'm, I remember back a few years ago and, and I had a nice, we always grew a big garden. We grew a really beautiful garden and I took the brush and piled it and had two or three brush piles. And then one day I decided that I'd burn that brush pile. And I set that brush pile on fire and fly, the fire's going high. And I'm walking down through the garden and this little rabbit jumps up. I say little grown rabbit. That rabbit jumps up and runs into that burning brush pile and never returned. It was disintegrated because it feared me more than it feared the fire. And there are people out there that fear man more than they fear the fire. There's people out there, people out there that fear losing something, not having something, and you run into the fire. You built your little brush piles, but it's all gonna burn. I felt so sorry for that rabbit. It was so afraid of me. It was more afraid of me than it was the pile burning. And it ran into the burning brush pile. And there are people like that all over the world that will run from God. And what they don't realize is they're running into the burning brush. They're running into a place of destruction. So there we have the bread, the personal things that stand in our way. Then there's the spiritual things, spiritual things. We're talking about things that, that test our faith, things that test our faith, spiritual things, spiritual trouble, spiritual trouble. Notice verse 16 through 21. This is where Jesus walks on the water. And in Matthew chapter 14, it's also where Peter walked on the water. But in this uh, 16th verse of John 6, it says, And when evening was come, his disciples went down into the sea. Now, Jesus went up, verse 15, into a mountain alone to pray. He went, got aside, and he's praying. He's praying for his disciples. He's up there on this mountain. He's praying. And the disciples go down to the coast of Galilee, the, uh, Tiberias, and they enter into a ship. And, and they go, verse 17, uh, over the sea unto the Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. It was dark, and Jesus had not come to them. I want you to know we're all going to have dark nights in our life. We're all going to have dark times in our life, and you're going to ask the question, where is Jesus? We're all going to have dark moments in our life. There's going to be dark times in our life. The Bible says, and it was dark, and the sea arose by reason of the great wind that blew. And so when they had rowed about uh, five or 20 or 30, uh, five and 20 or 30 furlongs, that's about three miles, three and a half miles, they see Jesus. The Bible says they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship and they were afraid. But he said unto them, it is I, be not afraid, then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. I want to say right now there are people today that they have spiritual trouble. 
and God sees you. See, when Jesus was on the mountain praying, he not only was praying for his disciples, but he was watching them. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is watching you. And he knows if you're exhausted. He knows if you're full of turmoil. He knows if you're going through a spiritual, mental breakdown. He knows if you're going through a hard time. Jesus Christ knows that it's hard. He knows you're halfway out to sea and you can't get back. He knows the wind's contrary. He knows you're having a hard time. And I want you to know all God will come to you, even if it means walking on top of the water. Jesus Christ came down off that mount, walked on top of the water. I said he walked on top of the sea. I said he walked on top of the sea. I said he walked walked on top of the sea to come to his disciples. And the Bible said that Jesus would have just passed them by. I want you to know that just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean that Jesus is going to blow your door down to help you. Just because you're going through a hard moment or spiritual challenge doesn't mean Jesus is going to come and force himself on you. He'll, he'll be there, and he'll be walking by, and you're going to have moments in your life that God passes by. You have moments in your life that Jesus will walk by, but it's up to you to cry out to him. It's up to you to cry out to him, and when you cry out to him, he'll cry out to you, and he'll say, it is I. Be not afraid. How many, how many would like to have Jesus cry out to you, it is I, be not afraid? Yeah, yeah. When you cry out to Jesus, as he's passing by, he'll stop and he'll cry out to you, it is I, be not afraid. Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Enjoy the blessings of God. Be of good cheer, it is I. I think it's in Matthew 14 where he says, be of good cheer. And then immediately... After Peter and Jesus gets back into the boat, which is actually in Matthew 14 and um, Mark and, and uh, Luke as well, the Bible says immediately the ship was at land, whether they went. Verse 21, they were just immediately home. One day Jesus Christ will come to us in this dark night. He'll come to us walking not on the water or the sea. He'll come walking on the sea of the atmosphere above us. And he'll call us home. We'll cry out, come, Jesus. Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus will respond, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And up the daisy we go to meet Jesus in the air. He said, where are you hearing that phrase, Daisy? I'm referring to someone named Daisy right now. Upsa-Daisy. But anyway, that's a beautiful spiritual troubles we go through, but Jesus Christ will take us through. The next one I want to point out is Jesus, is Jesus your sin sacrifice? Is Jesus your sin sacrifice? If you think that you've got a 
do certain things in order to be saved. If you think that you've got to walk the chop, do certain orders to be saved. If you think you've got to be good enough to go to heaven, you know, God's going to measure the good and the bad. And if you've got enough good, you can go to heaven. If you think that your faith is not what it should be, your faith must be in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ said in verse 51 through 54, it says, and the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my Blood is drink indeed. You say, whoa, preacher, you've lost it. No, I just read it. He is not saying that we're to turn into cannibals. He is not saying that the communion cup turns into blood and the actual flesh of Jesus Christ. He is saying that you've got to consume like you do a steak and a baked potato, you've got to consume in your spiritual uh, fortitude and you've got to assimilate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got to take of the blood that was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary that flowed out of Emmanuel's veins and you've got to be plunged beneath uh, your sin, uh, plunged beneath the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal pre-existing God Almighty, the breath of life the bread of life, the sovereign God of the universe, and you've got to turn and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. You've got to put your faith in that shed blood on the cross of Calvary and that resurrected Son of God from the tomb. And you've got to put your trust in the sacrificial Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You've got to assimilate that. You can't just say, I believe it. You've got to feed on it. You've got to digest it. You've got to know it. Bless God, I went to Golden Crowd the other night and I assimilated a lot of it. Some of that's still in me. Some of that's still in me. Bless God, if it wasn't for buffets, I'd be as skinny as Judy. Hello. I've seen on Facebook, and everybody knows you've got to go to Facebook once in a while. I put my face in this book a lot, but, you know. And I've seen on Facebook where this wife comes out of, the, out of the kitchen or whatever, and she patted her husband on the belly. And then she walked away. The husband went up to her and patted her on the belly. She lost it. She lost it. I want you to know when it comes to spiritual matters, I want a big belly. When it comes to the Word of God, I want to be a moose. Hello. 
I, I want to assimilate, hear the word of God. And that's what Jesus Christ means by eating the flesh of the Son of God, drinking the blood. He doesn't mean that we're cannibals. He just means that you're going to look at his cross, look at the blood of Jesus Christ, listen to his words, watch him die on the cross of Calvary, understand he's your personal sacrifice, put your trust in him, put your all in him, let him assimilate, you assimilate him, and let him assimilate you. And let him become a part of your life so your faith will be everywhere whether it's in church or whether it's at work or whether it's at home your faith will reign because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony amen I kind of like preaching once in a while love it I want to mention before we go any further that we're all feeders. How many would agree that we're all feeders? Kind of like little feeder pigs. We're all feeders. We all go for things. But I, I just want to make a few real quick statements. If you find your life in your job, if you find your life in your family, if you find your life in your grandchildren, you're going to have to find your life in Jesus Christ because it will not suffice you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You cannot find your everlasting life in your grandchildren. You cannot find your life in your family. Although, don't misunderstand me, I love my grandchildren. Love my family. Love my wife. I love my loved ones, my, my sons and my daughters but I can't find everlasting life in them. And let me say to old pappy out there, no, old, old Grammy out there, let me say to you, you can't put your life in your grandchildren, although we do, we love them, and we're crazy about them. But you can't put your, you can't say life is about, all about family because it's not all about family. It is about family, but it's not all about family. And I want you to know, old pappy, Old Grammy, I want you to know you can put your life in those grandchildren, but they're going to outgrow you. And you're going to outage them. And they're going to go on with their life, and you're going to die. You're gonna, you're gonna, they're going to go on with their life, and they're going to be too busy for you. And you pour, and that goes for a mother and a father as well. The children, they get, go on with their life and, and they show up when they need something. Hello. And, and I love them adorable babies. I love that. But you can't put all your life in that because it's all temporal. It's all temporal. You've got to put your trust in Jesus Christ, the eternal, pre-existing, sovereign God of the universe. For one day, you will outage your grandchildren, and they will outgrow you, and it won't matter anymore to them. Oh, to a certain degree, it will. But the truth is, we die, and we're forgotten. Truth is, we leave and we're forgotten. But I want you to know, if you'll give your heart to Jesus Christ, if you'll trust the sovereign God of the universe, if you eat of the flesh of the Son of God and, and drink his blood and assimilate the blessing of God, you will never, ever be forgotten. You'll hear the words of Jesus Christ say, 
when, when the thief said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. God has forgotten not one person in the grave. God has not forgotten one person that's ever lived hundreds of years ago. God has never forgotten one person that lived hundreds and thousands of years ago. God knows all. God sees all. God cares about you. But the only thing that will give you eternal life is to eat of that bread of life. To eat of Jesus Christ. Last but not least, talking about, talking about uh, things that test your faith. Anybody getting anything out of this? Hope you are. Not only is Jesus your sin sacrifice, and I hope he is. When Jesus Christ started talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, whoa. That really turned some people off. They said, this is a hard saying. Notice it says that in verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Are you gonna be offended when I go back to the... Father, and leave you behind. What if I shall see this? What if you shall see the, uh, ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Does that offend you? I tell you, you got to eat of my flesh, drink my blood. Let me tell you what might really offend you. I am God. And that offends a lot of people. And the Bible says that when he preached such a stout sermon, verse 66. And I'm not going to get into predestination or election or uh, being chosen. That's all about the Father drawing us, the Son keeping us. Um, You know, you say, do you believe in predestination? Do you believe in election? Do you believe in being chosen? Yes, I do. I believe there's a door open. His name is Jesus Christ. And it says, whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. I believe that door says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But when you walk through that door, turn back and look at the back of that door above it, it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. So if I was you, I'd head for the door. Hello, it's God's, God's giving you the choice. Amen. Verse 66, this is 666, and then kind of ironic From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you go away? Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. And we believe and are sure thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. So, Personal things get in our way. Personal problems get in our way. Spiritual troubles we face. But God has given us his promise. Jesus Christ paid for our sin. He died on the cross, rose again from the grave. My question to you is, to whom shall we go? Really, to whom shall we go? I mean, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go except to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the only one that said, 
I give unto you eternal life. Jesus Christ is the only one that said, if you come to me, I will save you forever. By the way, Jesus Christ is the only one that doesn't sit rotting in a tomb right now. He's resurrected from the grave. Jesus Christ is the eternal, preexistent Son of God. And so many walked away. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I'll tell you where you're going to go. You're going to go to the graveyard without the resurrection and the life. You're going to go to hell if you don't give your heart to Jesus Christ. And it's your choice, not God's. You're the one that chooses it, not me. Not uh, You choose it. And I'm going to tell you that when God gives you an invite, he expects you to take it. Amen. And he's giving you an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. Where are you going to go? Jesus Christ said, are you going to go away too? And the disciple, Peter, speaks up and says, well, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we believe and we're sure that thou art the Christ, the living Son of God. We're for sure that you are the Savior of the world. My question to you is, where are you going to go? When the storm's blowing harshly, where are you going to go? When you can't find a friend in the midst of the darkness, where are you going to go? When you get old and your body has, has uh, lost its health and its strength, where are you going to go? When you get to the place that you can't hardly move any longer, where are you going to go? When everything in your life falls apart, where are you going to go? When, when people are down on you, where are you going to go? When you sin so bad that you stink and reek with transgressions against God, where are you going to go? Your past is shambles and rocked and torn apart and, and shattered like shattered glass. Your past is horrible. Where are you going to go? When you're down on everything in your life, where are you going to go? When people look at you and say there's no hope, where are you going to go? When you feel depressed, where are you going to go? When you feel discouraged, where are you going to go? When your dreams have been shattered, where are you going to go? When you're depressed beyond measure, where are you going to go? When you can't get up, where are you going to go? When you don't know where to go, to whom will you go? And my friends, I want to say right now, we don't necessarily go somewhere. We go to him, Jesus Christ. To whom, whom, to whom shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. Amen. I am grateful for dedicated people that love the Lord that are in this church. I'm grateful for, for people that are dedicated to God and they serve God. But I want you to know that with the same fervency you'll cherish your love and energy on your grandchild. The same fervency that you cherish and, and, and pour your love on your children. The same fervency that you pour your labor and work on a job and to make a living. That same fervency needs to be put on him, on him, Jesus Christ. Unto whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. It is so easy. It is so easy to think, well, you know, I'll, I don't have to be all bug-eyed about Jesus. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I know you, you don't like that. 
I heard a preacher say the other day while he's preaching, you don't have to be all bug-eyed about Jesus. I said, yeah, you do. Obviously, he isn't bug-eyed about him. Listen, the God of the universe died for you. And he expects your all. It's not easy to follow Jesus. Honestly. Anybody tell you it's easy to follow Jesus? It's not easy to follow Jesus. Because you've got a family that doesn't know Christ. That wants to do everything except serve Christ. It's not easy to follow Jesus when your neighbor's trying to tell you dirty jokes. It's not easy to follow Jesus when you're depressed. It's not easy to follow Jesus when you're discouraged. It's not easy to follow Jesus when you're, you're down and you're going through a hard time financially. It's not easy to follow Jesus when, you're, when, when a loved one dies and, and you've lost your, your soulmate uh, for life. It's not easy to serve Jesus when you've got a baby that's demanding, just born, and you've got to take care of it. But yet, it's not easy to serve Jesus when the neighbors are, when the family's scheduling everything on the, on the Lord's day. And when school schedules everything on the Lord's Day. It's not easy when people say, well, you know, church is just an option. It's not a necessity. It's, it's just a thing. It's not easy in the world we live today that says you don't have to go to church. You're, it's true. You don't have to go to church, but it is also true. You're going to be a sorry Christian if you don't. I hear people say all the time, well, bless God, I am the church. Well, if you are, you're a pathetic church. And you're about the smallest church I ever saw because the church is not one, I am the church. No, you're not. You're a teeny, 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 little, teeny, teeny, teeny fragment of the church and you need to get your crumb with the rest of us crumbs and we need to make a special cake in behalf of Jesus Christ. Wow. The preacher, you need to go through a book in the Bible real fast. Just blowing a little suet here. Cleaning out my arteries. Amen. Did you know preaching's demanding? Preaching is demanding. That's why a lot of people don't want preaching in their churches anymore. Because preaching is demanding. Teaching is informative. Teaching is uplifting. Teaching is educational. It strengthens us. It blesses us. God uses it to strengthen us and build us. But preaching is demanding. Hello? I mean, John the Baptist didn't show up on the rivers of Jordan and say, here, let me teach a few words to the book of Ezekiel. Let me read to you a little bit here. Let me explain. No, John the Baptist goes to the Jordan bank and he said, Repent! John the Baptist just walks up the Jordan River, walks up there chewing a hiss of weed with a, a little bit of a grasshopper falling out his, out his mouth, little honey on his beard, and he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then some of them starched up Pharisees showed up and said, we want to be baptized too. And, G and John the Baptist said, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God that is to come? You get out of here and go bring forth meats to repentance. You just go away and get your act together, then come and see me. That's what John said to him. Ain't too many John the Baptists today. 
A lot of Johns, but no too many, no, not too many Baptists. And if you're John, thank God for John. I thank God for James, Peter, James, and John, some of the best disciples Jesus had. How many would agree with that? You don't agree with that because there's a Don out there. There's a Scott out there. There's a Chris out there. There's a Chris Chris out there. Amen? There's a Joel back in the sound booth. A prophet Joel. And then there's on the computer, there's Kayla. Oh, excuse me, Carissa. You say, I didn't want you to reveal that. That's what preaching's about, revealing. Amen? My grandpa was named Alvin Homer Akins on dad's side. That was dad's father. Alvin Homer Akins. For the life of me, I don't know why he didn't choose Alvin, but he went by Homer. Amen. I never knew him, so I'm not worried. Just looking at the family tree, and there's a lot of nuts in our family tree. Amen. We're giving an invitation. I want to say this. You can't sit there and say, well, I just, you know, I'm going to on purpose choose Jesus. First of all, the Father has to draw you. God has to compel you. God has to convict you. It's not, you know, following Jesus is not easy. You have to first hear the voice of the Savior. You have to hear his voice. God has to draw you. It's not easy to follow Jesus. There's, there's people today that claim to be Christians, and they may be Christians, but they're not following Jesus. Now, they may go to heaven. They may actually be Christians, but they're not following Jesus. There's people out there say, I believe in Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. Because in order to be a true, bona fide, genuine, Holy Ghost-filled disciple, you've got to be a follower of Jesus. As the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So my question to you, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Do you know Jesus is your personal Savior? Baby cried, never mom, heads that way. I want to invite you to come and make sure that Jesus Christ, you've done your part. You've done all that you need to do to make sure that you go to heaven. You say, you do your part, got to do the part you can't do. The main thing is to listen to God's voice, to hear God's voice. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Josh is going to be preaching tonight. And he always does a fantastic job. Well, you're going to be doing preacher. I'm going to be eating. It's called cake and ice cream. I'm going to follow Jesus right to the cake and ice cream. I'm going to follow Jesus right here tonight to hear Joshua give me some 
bread, not bread alone, but by every word of God, receiving the things of the Lord. Amen. Altar's open. We want to invite you to come. God's going to bless all. We're going to invite you to come. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if God's drawn me. Then you need to come up here and ask God. You come up here and ask the Father, please draw me. Please make me sensitive to the things of God. Please make me sensitive to your voice. If you don't know if God's drawn you, if you don't know you've been convicted, you come to this altar and say, Father, please draw me. Please include me in your great salvation. Would you do that? All is over.